Dark save for light being cast from the big TV screen and the imminent sunrise that's teasing the one starry sky with whispers of morning. Hey, it's Mike again. Yeah, I never left. It. Sorry. Hey, it's still Mike. I just don't have comments on every game. I, I understand some some yeah. games are not worth uh, not, not worth your brain power. <laughs> but this one, this game is. Yes, Link's Awakening, the uh, first Zelda on Game Boy, and in the grand scheme of things, I guess that would make it the fourth Zelda game they ever made. Um, one, and, one and two on the NES, yeah, Link then, to the Past. Link to the Past, then this. then this one. Were there any, did they get any weird spinoffs? Like, is there is there like a Zelda's Cookie or like a, a Zelda Mon Snap or some crazy? I'm actually not sure that has ever happened other no, than no, no, I'm afraid it has because oh, we're not talking about CDI. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that was an, a completely appropriate reaction, um, but no, uh, on the Wii U, there was the weird bow training game. Oh, uh, you're right. And then they also did Hyrule Warriors, which like makes no damn sense. Yeah, it's the Dynasty Warriors with a fresh coat of Nintendo branding. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so uh, not never, but certainly rarely. I, you know, they don't just compared slap to Mario, <laughs> who is just slapped on anything that's living or might live someday. Yes, yeah, they're they're a little bit more judicious with Zelda, which There's I no appreciate. Link Link is missing, or oh Jesus, Link teaches typing. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so we played Link's Awakening for the Game Boy, and uh, I think it is worth noting that. Uh, one, uh, I never played this game as a kid, but I did realize after playing it that I was exposed to this game because I remember Brian playing the original. Uh, two, the original came out in 1993. We played the Game Boy Color remake, which came out in 1998. And I'm really, really glad we did that because looking at like screenshots <laughs> side by side, you're like, ooh, original Game Boy. Um, and uh, four or eight or H or whatever one I'm on now, uh, there is a re- re-remake of this coming out, uh, and the timing of this episode is not at all circumspect. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so maybe uh, some SEO goodness off of the Switch remake, but we played the 1998 Game Boy one. <laughs> yeah, and uh, so to counteract your lack of nostalgia <laughs> other than you know osmosis of your friend um i did play it when it came out i i had the original game boy growing up i have lots of nostalgia for whatever that famous web comic is of the kid in the car with every little street light lighting oh, his game for I one love second that comic that's so cute <laughs> and uh so i had those family road trips where i was <laughs> desperate for any form of light i had weird you know there was a weird era of lots of attachments to the Game Boy to have <laughs> magnify the screen or give you bigger buttons and, uh, of course, lights, because there wasn't a backlit Game Boy for a long time. Did uh, the original Game Boy also have the crazy thing that was shaped like batteries, but then had a cord so you could plug it into a wall? 
I don't remember that. I don't think you had an AC option. It was always batteries. Okay, maybe I'm thinking of the Game Gear. I know there was some handheld console that had like, plug these fake batteries in with a rat tail coming off of it. I mean, maybe some like unofficial third party thing came out like that. Fair play. (laughs) Yeah, there was a kind of a a playground of adapters. Um, None of that matters for Zelda, but (laughs) it was just part of the nostalgia. It was also, I mean, this game came out and. It was kind of part of a wave of the Game Boy getting, quote, real games and not mm. just uh, either really awful ports of console games or, um, you know, very, very simplistic, like arcade, like one screen or few screen <laughs> games. Um, you know, this joined the ranks of Metroid 2 and, uh, you know, Capcom did a really good job porting most of their games like Bionic Commando and DuckTales and Mega Man. And didn't, uh, uh, didn't the first Mega Man game they put on Game Boy only have four robot masters Almost. instead of six or six instead of eight yeah it only had four and uh and then the the subsequent games were weird because they would take four from two and four from three <sighs> or like they would start mixing them up it so was they, weird. they went full final <laughs> fantasy naming and they were like ah we we messed it up we'll just never fix it and then they had five which was completely made of it um <laughs> So, I mean, this was, so Link's Awakening was Nintendo making a true AAA game for Game Boy, which was refreshing given that there's a lot of shovelware on Game Boy. Yeah, and and I want to be clear, because you said this uh, indirectly, but I want to be really explicit that uh, I did not realize in my memory when in the Zelda uh, like series this came out, and... I think it's really important for someone who has uh, played this game as a kid and didn't realize this or who has never played this game and is considering, you know, playing the original or now playing the remake that's going to come out later sometime. Um, This came out after A Link to the Past. And the reason I think that matters so much is when you play the original Zelda for Nintendo, you're like, oh my God, this is like iconic and there's a bunch of stuff that's dumb and I hate, but you can see the foundation <laughs> that they're laying. And then you play Zelda two and you're like, oh my, what is happening? <laughs> right. And it's just, it's miserable. And then you play a link to the past. And in my mind, and I know I don't represent everyone, or at least I represent all the smart people in my <laughs> mind, link to the past is like the definitive Zelda. Like it is. Yeah. It, it it's my favorite personally, but I it it's just like it's so good, and there's so much that was established right there in that game, and then knowing that this game comes after is important because so much of what they do in this game that we're going to talk about is I don't think they would have come up with all these ideas if this was a game for Game Boy before the Super Nintendo one. This was essentially them trying to take all of the goodness of the Super Nintendo one and shove it into four bits and getting surprisingly close to that goal. Absolutely. Not to give away our our feelings on it, but... No, it was was terrible. (laughs) Or was it great? Who knows? No, but I mean, like, the... In terms of mechanics and, like, interesting little uh, level design things that they tried, like knowing that this came after link to the past makes so much more sense because if this game had come first, then you would be like, Oh my God, this is where all the groundwork was laid for link to the past. But really they had yeah. the way more powerful system. And then they had to decide how to cram all of that game design yeah. down into, you know, half as or what uh, a quarter as many bits, way fewer bits. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and, uh, you know, there's still some 
interesting experimentation happening in this game, but you can tell that the Zelda the paradigm was really figured out by the time they got to this game. And the, the riffs on it aren't as extreme as you trace the first three games and they're wildly different. And I mean, I think a lot of Nintendo's franchises reach, they like set, they started to set in the Super NES era. Like we kind of know what this is. And yeah. Yeah, I agree. They were sort of like, okay, the, this will be the definitive one, and now we will branch off of this. We're not going to re, you know, remake the mold every single time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the lots of nostalgia for me. It's a it's a real serious attempt at a full game, and so let's talk about visuals. Let's talk about visuals. Um, I think it it matters that we played the color one just because it's in color, and and I like. The Game Boy Color, I like the simple flat colors that the the Game Boy Color was good at, but this game, like a lot of Nintendo games, lends itself incredibly well to really simple sprite art. I mean, I've made no secret of my love of sprite art. I feel very personally insulted when sprite art is done poorly and something looks like garbage because it's such a, a nostalgic art form and... Uh, Link as a little elf character and the little monsters and the very kind of game board tile layout of the things like trees and rocks and stuff just works incredibly well on the Game Boy. And uh, even little things like the fact that the rocks and the pots are exactly the same size, which is exactly one tile, which is exactly how big Link is. Like your brain just sees like the kind of cartoony I've always called them tokens in the past. They're like game tokens, right? And the fact that they're the same size, just like your brain is like, no, this is fine <laughs> because yeah. it's so simple and cartoony that you just uh, like, make your peace with it, really. Yeah, and and even though we played the color version of the game, this game had to live on top of a design that worked with four shades, which is all the Game Boy can do. Yeah. And I was trying to look this up. It's not like four shades and blank white. It's literally four shades total and so um everything they have to communicate in this game has to has to make sense to your eye with only that much contrast to work with and uh, i think they do an incredible job they show off like just the number of environments in this game the beach there's a forest there's a swamp there's a desert there's waterfalls and lakes there's mountains and uh they basically have to do that with the shape and contrast not with color well and there's indoor environments right so there's uh, you go underground, there's stone dungeons, there's inside houses that have like wooden beds and, and you know, wooden floors, there's um, fire, there's like some, <laughs> some torches and things and, you know, you get the, the magic rod that makes fire toward the end. But yeah, there's, there's a gigantic amount of information that's communicated through shapes mostly, then textures, and then third, I guess, maybe movement, some things like the way they move gives you a lot of information or they flash colors or whatever. Um, but the, the color upgrade is exists only because the, they were replacing the original version. So the fact that they were able to successfully make the game at all with all that information in those yeah. four colors, and you're right, it is literally four colors total, uh, and then yeah. to add in, what did the Game Boy Color have? Like 16 colors? 24? Uh, I think 56. 56. I yeah. wouldn't have picked that number out of the air. Uh, <laughs> so that that many colors uh, is, is, I don't know what to call it. Like, it's not, 
it's not like repainting the house because like it it's it's the way you probably imagined it, especially coming off of the Super Nintendo Zelda. Like you as the player probably have an idea in your mind of like, oh, Link is colored roughly like this and the world is colored roughly like this. And then when you think back, if you had played the original, you're probably kind of remembering it the way the Game Boy Color one actually looked, right? So yeah. even just five years apart, they sort of had to compete with how did people imagine this thing looked when it wasn't in color? And now we have to try and match their memory. And the geek in me wonders if they like programmed it well or not, or if they like, if everything was just like, yeah, shade one, shade two. And then when they had to colorize it, if they had to go in and change a lot of foundational descriptions of the color. Um, I bet they did. I, I bet they did because once you can differentiate between things like blue and green or red and green then just saying like oh this this color was the dark green before <laughs> it's like now should it be like red and pop and be really separate from the rest of the environment or should it be like a blue and kind of blend in with the rest of the green environment so i'm just, i just took it for granted here that the rest of the environment is green um, <laughs> but yeah so i i would i would say based on how well this looks uh how good this looks they probably did go back and methodically recolorize things and not just be like (laughs) and i doubt they would have the time or budget to foresee the game boy color five years ahead of time and be like oh we should add an extra you know variable for the color not just the shade but uh there's a a lot of cameos in this game of nintendo characters from other games um see if i miss any here there's wart from mario 2 there's yoshi there's apparently a kirby somewhere i don't remember seeing it on this playthrough Um, it's uh in the seventh dungeon i think okay don't remember he's one of the enemies it's an enemy yeah okay uh mr wright from sim city yeah that Uh, one's somehow the weirdest (laughs) uh chomp who you get to actually take on a walk there's goombas and piranha plants and there's there's probably even a few more uh there's just um i don't remember them doing was there any nintendo characters in link to the past i don't i i cannot think of any and i literally have in my notes has any other zelda game more proudly worn it's made by nintendo shirt (laughs) (laughs) because they just like, because, you know, I first started playing and like one of the first Nintendo-y things you're exposed to is the Chain Chomp because it's on like the second screen. And it's like, oh, ch- oh I get it. That's cute because it's a Nintendo game. Okay, I get it. And then <laughs> like as the game goes on, you just see more and more, mostly Mario, but like non-Zelda Nintendo stuff just in the world and not there is like a cute reference. Like the chain chomp is a core part of one of the early missions, the or quests. <laughs> the um Mr. Wright is like a core part of one of the side missions. Um the the uh the the uh the frog what's the frog's name? Wart. Wart. Um he <laughs> he is a core part of of the game. Like you have to go and interact with him to learn the frog song, right? Like there's all yeah. of these Nintendo things. The Goombas are enemies you have to interact with. Just all this Nintendo stuff that's just like hey, Zelda is part of the Nintendo franchise. It, it's yeah. like it's almost weird. Like maybe as a 10-year-old I would have been like, ah! but <laughs> in my 30s I'm like, huh. <laughs> 
Yeah. And I mean, right down to the very giant iconic structure on the top of the mountain that you go to to end the game is a Yoshi egg. <laughs> yeah. No, it totally Pretty is. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. No, it, you're absolutely right. They they made the dots pink instead of green, but yeah, it's basically a Yoshi egg. <laughs> well, there's pink Yoshis. <laughs> uh, don't they all have green eggs? Or they, no, they do have different colored eggs. Yeah. Hey, right. Um, another visual thing that's just uh, before we get to gameplay is uh, a lot of the dungeons, not all of them to my eye, but a lot of them carry the Zelda 1 thing of being shaped like things. So the key cavern looks like a key. The uh, bottle grotto kind of looks like the outline of a bottle. The angler cavern looks like a fish. And turtle rock looks like a turtle. And um, I wasn't able to identify any other ones, but that's enough to be like, yeah, they did this on purpose. <laughs> yeah, no, you're I because I I didn't think to look at the full laid out maps um, in like high res and in game they are blocky enough that that didn't jump out at me. But I know that that's a thing Zelda games have done because it's just you as the player never really see the map laid out with screens right you see the blocks yeah. for the rooms but then like if you look at it in like a nintendo power or a game guide or something and you see the whole thing laid out then it's usually a little bit more obvious they sometimes are like color-coded too i think like the the first zelda they were like kind of color-coded um so I, I sort of love the idea of like here are uh the shapes that are part of the theme of the dungeon and it's not uh, necessary. It doesn't do anything, but uh, we did it anyway because we did. Yeah, knowing that the key cavern looks like a key, it's not like it solves a puzzle for you or like gives you a like. I wouldn't know that there's a secret door over here. Nope. <laughs> or anything. Yeah, it's uh, it's just one of those things, kind of in a way, kind of like all of the other cutesy uh, Nintendo things, like. It's just because the designers could do that. So they just included lots of cutesy stuff and the layout, the levels have to be, or the dungeons have to be shaped like something. So making them shape like their theme is just okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What do you think about the, uh, frankly, uh, unique, as far as I know, in the Zelda franchise, uh, flip-flop between... Top-down, traditional 2D Zelda, and then, whoa, platforming sections just, like, thrown in. And I want to talk about the mechanics yet. We'll get to that. But, like, (laughs) visually, it is the exact same sprite for Link. Uh, Some of the sprites that are in there, like the backgrounds and things, are unique to those 2D sections. Um, But do you feel like it works? Is it jarring? I know they kind of did that in Zelda 1, but not like this. Not all of this platforming and jumping and, oh, by the way, you could jump in this game. Yeah, the side-scrolling sections are, they're kind of strange because they didn't really do any new artwork. Link looks exactly the same. If you point Link looking up, he's just, it's like you're above his head and he's facing upwards on the overhead view. And so there's a little bit of weirdness there. And I mean, you get the sense that like the game engine has kind of been hacked to make it to add some gravity <laughs> to an otherwise the same game engine, and uh, yeah, it's a little weird visually. Like it, it comes off as like kind of they forced it in a little. Yeah, and it, it's because the visuals down there are 
straight on, right? Like you, when you see a platform, you're looking right at the side of it, not like at kind of a gentle angle. Like everything in there just feels like it's from a different game. And some of those platforming sections I kind of enjoyed. I was like, oh, okay, like I get to jump over this thing or there's this little like puzzle with the ice blocks and the fire wand, the magic wand that I need to solve. Like that's that's kind of interesting, but visually it feels very out of place. Like like you swap the cartridges yeah. really fast in between loading screens. <laughs> and I mean, I can I could trace it to something from Zelda 1. They never made it like a full gameplay moment, but when you would get items in Zelda 1, you would kind of be in a view like that. And there might be bats, but there's basically nothing that happens there. Yeah, they're they're like and, little uh, um they're like little crawl spaces where you like go down the ladder and you go over and you go up yeah. another little ladder and then the items right there. And I get why they wanted a screen that was like, here's the item, right? And like that was all they cared about <laughs> on that screen and they wanted to like accentuate it, but in uh, Link's Awakening, these are like substantial platforming segments required to progress through dungeons. It's not like you could just say yeah. like, oh, there's this silly thing on the side. Like it is a core part of every dungeon or at least most of the dungeons. And reminds me that there are thwomps in this game oh, too. One of the cameos I yes, missed. you did. There are absolutely thwomps. <laughs> Which, I mean, we'll get to the mechanics, but the whole zelda as platformer angle of this game is i think one of the like stay in your lane <laughs> zelda kind of <laughs> things we'll get to <laughs> yeah no I'm, I'm with you on that I, I don't love the way those sections behave mechanically which we'll we'll definitely dig into more but i really even just thinking about the visuals i don't really like the way they look and then musically uh and we don't have segue right into music right here if you have more stuff to say on the visuals but like they also do weird things with the music. It's like those entire sections visually, auditorially, and mechanically <laughs> are all like from a different game and they just didn't want to scrap yeah. that work. So they put it into this game. Yeah, I do have a few more visual things. So I'd say you, you brought up the, the idea of Zelda as a very tiled game. It's, uh, there's a lot of puzzle mechanics to Zelda. So the visuals of the tiles have to explain a lot or present you with things you can use for the gameplay. And so um, the tiles in Zelda communicate what can be done or give you hints about what might be possible and uh, often in relationship to your items. So if there's cracks in the wall, you might be able to blow it up. If there's rocks and pots, you can pick those up and you can hit things with them. Um, if there's water, you, you quickly learn that you can't swim <laughs> until you get the flippers. Um, cracked floors, if you stand on them too long, you're going to lose half a heart because you're going to fall. And, uh, you know, the, the game is structured to th mix these things up. Um, and so uh, I'd say in general, they, they do a really good job visually of giving you iconic things that trigger your memory of like, oh, yeah, I got to pick that up. Oh, yeah, I got to dash through that. Yeah, and with very rare exceptions, they don't break their own visual cue rules. If something is a thing, it behaves that way every time you see it. And the few exceptions there are, like there's the, the rock that kind of looks like the tip of a pencil. It's like zoomed way in on the pencil lead. Um, and mm -hmm. after you get to a slightly more advanced part of the map, you start to encounter the little crab things that are like under the rocks. So you get near the rock and you think like, haha, I'm going to pick up this rock because I have the power bracelet. And then it like rushes over and hits you and you take some damage, right? So I, 
I feel like that's an acceptable because like it doesn't you don't fall out of the dungeon right it doesn't inst- it's not a one shot kill you don't lose items or anything stupid like that so yeah you it teaches you to a little bit more cautiously approach rocks but if you decide not to be cautious or you just don't internalize the lesson the penalty for failure is just being reminded that the world is not always as simple as it seems right and and I feel like if mm-hmm. you're gonna have all of these super clear visuals that tell you exactly what they do so that you can use that knowledge to solve puzzles. When you break those rules, the penalty needs to be pretty low. And all the times I can think of, they keep the penalty pretty low. Yeah. They didn't even give you the stupid big hand that warps you out of the dungeons. No, they have the stupid (laughs) boxer mini boss who knocks you out of the. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh God. The first time that happened to me, I was like, what, what, what? (laughs) Oh, that's a strange character. Um, a, a note on text in this game, uh, which I have to get to. Individuals. I'd say, so anytime we're going to play an RPG and I choose to comment on that episode, uh, I'm going to talk about how fast does the text appear and are there any paper cuts around that? It's just it's just a given in yeah, RPGs. No, totally. And I'd say my overall review of text in this game is mediocre <laughs> to sometimes frustrating. And uh, it's, it's not as fast as I'd like and i want to ask you how many times trying to speed through a conversation did you accidentally start it over by talking to him again yeah like all the times because most of the things people have to say are not that important and like i'm a i would call myself a pretty hardcore rpger and the zelda games are for better or worse are action rpgs which means not a ton of information is conveyed through like interacting with the npcs right there's the owl in this one that comes in and like tells you what to do and a lot of action rpgs have like a narrator slash guide of some kind but you don't generally just walk around and like chat with the townspeople but because i play a lot of rpgs i do do that even though i shouldn't because i know (laughs) it's not really necessary in these games so you end up talking to someone and they say the same dumb thing that they've said every other time you've talked to them. And then you just start like spamming a to get through it. And then you accidentally start the conversation over again. And you're just like, hmm. <laughs> um, in general, they did seem to be having a lot of fun with the characters in this game. They're very sarcastic. They're very fourth wall breaking. Tons of fourth wall breaking. Um, uh, the the guy who gives you tips over the phone, if you go to his house, he's like terrified. <laughs> like, please, can you just go somewhere else and call me? Which is maybe a little future looking. Yeah, to, right? like, <laughs> don't want to interact with people. Can you just like text me? But um, I'd say this game also started a trend of overhelping or maybe didn't start, but was a significant increase in Nintendo trusting players less and and specifically with the visual text appearing on screen and one of the things that is a huge paper cut in this game is uh, the the way i understood the mechanic is say you touch a rock and you don't have the glove it's going to tell you hey wow this thing looks heavy you need the gloves and every time you go to a new screen and bump one of those rocks or pots it's gonna say it again and i hate that design choice yeah and this is definitely going to come up again in mechanics, but I think it's important to understand it visually because the text is not that fast and there's no way to disable this text. So every single time you interact with anything that requires an item to interact with, the gameplay comes to a grinding halt, right? So visually, like if there's enemies on the screen, everything just freezes in place. 
and then the text box opens and it's like oh man this rock sure looks heavy right like just like you said like literally every single time and then okay well here you know what this this is my teaser for mechanics i have a lot more to say about this but let's just say for now to relate it to visuals that the fact that everything on the screen freezes and the text box jumps up and you have to slowly crawl through two or three screens of text because i mean it's a game boy right and you can't fit a ton of text on there so you have to like go through two or three little like window scrolls of text and it's just every time like every (laughs) time like this is the opposite of overhelping (laughs) it's helping so much that it's hurting yeah um Oh God! Now all I can think about is the part of the episode that's going to be us talking about that. Um, anything else for the visuals? No, I think. I mean, I, we'll cover more with mechanics. I'm sure we'll think of stuff, but that's, so I, that's pretty I, good. I have a totally awesome segue into audio here. You ready for this? You ready? Ready? Uh, so you mentioned that they do a pretty good job of telegraphing. Um, oh, like this is a floor tile that if you stand on it for too long, you're going to fall through it. And then over here is a wall that if you bomb, you can go through it. Uh, what they introduced in this game, and I honestly can't recall happening in any other Zelda games, but I've, I've missed a few in the middle years. Um, there are walls that don't look different, but if you tap them with your sword, they make a noise that's different, and that's how you know that wall can be bombed. And... I think it's actually, considering the Game Boy's incredibly limited hardware power, I think it's a pretty clever mechanic to say, oh, well, we have a way for people to explore the, explore the world visually. Do we have any ways they can explore the world audioly, audioterially, um, phonically is probably the right way to say that. <laughs> and, and I can't think of any other Zelda game where that's how you find bombable walls. And I thought... I thought Link to the Past did that, didn't it? If it did, I have successfully played that game a bunch of times <laughs> without ever having to do that. It might not, and maybe I'm just remembering from this <laughs> game, but I feel like you can do that in Link to the Past, and that would make sense that they would include it. But yeah, yeah. but it, it, either either way, um, I do think it's a clever mechanic because so much of the information is conveyed visually, and there's very little information that is only conveyed through audio. And exploring the world through audio is a perfect fit for the Zelda universe, right? It's like the whole point of the game is exploration and like, you know, having an adventure in this world. And it makes sense that you wouldn't only do that with your eyes. You would use other senses to get around the world. So I I actually thought that was a pretty cool thing to include, even if a few times I would like open up, you know, game facts or something. And they were like, oh, poke this wall. And that's the part of it that you can bomb and i was just like <laughs> so like i didn't know it also seemed that mechanic though also seems like something that on game boy is something that a lot of gamers might miss because they might be playing silently just because of where silently they are or in a super noisy <laughs> environment yeah yeah i mean it, it's it is questionable that that's the system they chose to include that mechanic on for the first time but i do think it is a clever mechanic that is also on theme for you know you exploring the you know using your wicked cunning to explore the world around you so that was a that was a neat thing and and i think a solid segue in audio yeah uh i guess one thing i'd say is uh every single 
uh, item you get, special item you get in this game has a unique sound, which I think is like the the hook shot sounds different than the boomerang, sounds different than a bow, sounds different than a bomb, sounds different than... Um, I don't think any of them sound the same, um, which is, I think, remarkable given <laughs> what the Game Boy's sound chip is capable of doing. Um, you know, when you fall, there's kind of a slide whistle. Yeah, uh, if you step into, a, yeah. step into a door, you get a... Like you're taking footsteps upstairs. When you break a pot versus breaking a boulder, and like I... I could see a world where a game designer gets lazy and they're like, well, when you break a rock and when you set a bomb off, it can probably be the same sound. Like, whatever. Stuff's kind of... But no, it's different. Um, my favorite sound effect of almost all time is hating a boss in a Zelda game because there's always just... <laughs> like, really satisfying. When you kill him, you get the longer... <laughs> and I can't think of a better sound than that to reward you. <laughs> no, and and I'll bet on because you know I play this on a Super Game Boy on a television like a, an adult, um, but I bet <laughs> I bet on a uh, Game Boy speaker um, that probably sounded very like guttural animal. You know, you're slaying a monster, right? And it probably came out of that little tiny cheapo speaker and was like monster sounding, right? And then now like. Yeah. <laughs> on a on a big television it's a little more guttural crazy and um i know this has been re-released on the what like the virtual console and stuff so like most people who've played this game now have probably played this on like modern equipment which is hilarious (laughs) but um even on you know big speakers on a big television like it still sounds really good like the music still sounded really good the 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 differentiation of the sound effects still helps you navigate the world and understand what's going on and knowing which items you just use like it's it scales up surprisingly well in terms of audio. <laughs> How'd you feel about the music? Uh, okay, so it's it's pretty good. Like, I, I enjoy this music a lot. Um, I'm always excited to get a new uh, variation in a mainline Zelda game on the Hyrule theme, the, you know, the, the iconic Zelda music. Um, mm-hmm. But it's uh, it's executed in a really smart way in this game. Um, I think I have this later in my notes, but now seems as good a time as I need to bring it up. Like, uh, <laughs> you do the little opening of the game and you don't hear the Zelda music. And then when you go to the beach and you get your sword, that's when it switches over. And it's like, now it's the like, dun, 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 dun. And it, it's like, because you <laughs> spoilers, you don't get the master sword in this game or the sword you're walking around with is the master sword. Um, there's no like moment of there's no like clear moment of growth. So picking up your sword and like going back to being Link, the hero of awakening <laughs> is like it's a super triumphant moment, even though it happens in like the first, you know, two minutes of the game. And coupling it with that super iconic music that has a really cute little arrangement on the Game Boy, like felt really good like it wasn't just oh this, this is a good song i know this song like it, it they they chose to roll it out in a moment that made it feel even more powerful totally agree um some of the other music is not so great <laughs> well they can't all be winners mike <laughs> and i'll save a certain one for you to talk about but uh <laughs> Uh, I'll talk about the uh, ocarina songs. And so I'd say the Ballad of the Windfish is probably the best new Zelda 
theme that comes out of this game. Um, the by the end of the game, you get all eight instruments, and it kind of goes through a medley of letting each of them kind of make some noise. And uh, I just think, like, as far as like a chip tuny orchestra, it's it's gorgeous. Like, it's really well done. And uh, but then the other ocarina songs, I think, are hot garbage <laughs> and worthless, and nothing I would <laughs> really want to listen to. No, and you can kind of see them thinking to like future games where they would have more powerful audio hardware, right? Because Link to the Past has the Ocarina, but it only has the one song used to summon the bird, right? And and you mm-hmm. hear it, I think, at like two or three different speeds, but it's the same melody. Whereas in this, every time you accidentally go over the Ocarina in your menu, it opens up the stupid submenu. <laughs> oh, because right. There's, we didn't talk about yeah, that. <laughs> because there's three songs. There's uh, the Wart song, Marin's song, which is the the main one that you you wake wake yeah. the windfish with, and then there's like a a hidden one that you don't need to beat the game that like warps you yeah, the one around. That, yeah, because the Wart one's how you revive things, yeah. which you need to get the flying chicken. But the <laughs> the other one just transports you to the whatever Tracy's cabin or whatever. Yeah. The water puddle. Next yeah. To so her. I didn't I didn't even get that one, but the other two are like. They're okay. Like the full, you know, Song of Awakening, like sounds pretty good. But like the little melody you, you know, burp out on the ocarina is like, eh, is not, yeah, is it's... not their best deployment of the sound technology <laughs> on a Game Boy. <laughs> Which is, I mean, fine. You're just using it to to do a specific thing at a certain time. But um, but there's also music when you pick up a Triforce, which for some reason is in the game. A and piece of power. An acorn. <laughs> and how do you feel about that music? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay, so I think it would not be fair to leave this unsaid that this is obviously supposed to be their Mario Superstar music, right? <laughs> because when you get the the piece of power which makes you do I think like double damage and then when you get the the acorn <laughs> which makes you take <laughs> half damage. They both get the same little like power up music and it's it it doesn't last forever, right? Cuz the piece of power wears off just after a amount of time. So it's exactly like a superstar, right? A, you you get this item, you're modified for a little while and it's it's like two bars long (laughs) and the the thing that was really starting to burn it into my brain after a while and make me like question my sanity is uh i struggled a little bit with a couple of the later dungeons and like there was a couple times i just got like full-on lost and i made the mistake of like being like oh man i don't know where i am and pausing and then like opening game facts while I had a piece of power and now that's just playing on a loop infinitely for all of time until there is no other sound in the universe. <laughs> and like, it's, it's, just, it's not, it's not good. It's not good no. music for one. Cause it's, it, I mean, it's barely music and two, it feels kind of like the side scrolling platforming segments. It feels kind of out of place to be like, oh, I'm the hero. Now I'm the hero super high. Like, it's <laughs> it's like, like uh, I don't know. It's just weird. Like, it's just like the platforming sections visually. This is the audio version. Like, it just feels out of place. Yeah. And it just, like, I think 
what is it? If you get hit a few times, you lose it. Or if you sometimes when you like step into an indoor place or leave an indoor place, it just decides it's done. Yeah, there, if, or, if you cross, I don't know if it's like a certain number of yeah, screens. if you cross certain boundaries, um, indoor, outdoor, and I think like upstairs, like into a dungeon, out of a dungeon. Because um, some dungeons you like wander in and out, but I think you're still considered in the dungeon. Um, but yeah, so like certain certain door thresholds, um, taking a certain amount of damage or just time. Like if you just stand still, time would eventually make you have it wear off. But but it's definitely longer than the star in Mario, oh, yes. which is like 20 seconds yeah. or something. No, this is, I think, if you're not taking damage and you don't cross a, a threshold, like I think it is like over a minute, which... The same like two bars on loop for that long is a long time. Yeah, it's pretty irritating. And it wouldn't be so bad if it was a rare drop from enemies. No. It's not No, rare. it's all over the damn place. <laughs> and and again, we're we're gonna, you know, give you some sneak peeks yeah. on mechanics here, but um there's no uh traditional Zelda growth in this game. Um you don't uh have to power up your sword at all right there's like you don't get the master sword um yeah you can but it's not you don't and it's not in your face right the master sword is a core part of most of the games this the only reason i even knew i could power up my sword is because it says l1 under the sword yeah i was like oh i guess there are sword power-ups and then i beat the game and never got any of them and i was like oh (laughs) but um but you don't uh the game boy color one has uh, upgrades to the armor, but the original one didn't. And so there's like nothing, there's no like avatar growth, right? Like Link only gets better yeah. if you, the player, really get better. And so I think the the piece of power for your attack and the acorn, why is it an acorn? The, the acorn <laughs> for your defense is, is one, their way of baking in a little bit of uh, like growth opportunity. Like, oh, you got this thing and now you can behave differently in the world because you have been modified, like your avatar has been modified. Um, but it also just feels like another weird place that they were like, yeah, let's pull this other mechanic out of Mario and just, it, I mean, it works in Mario. Let's just do it over here. Right. And and it's not, yeah. don't, like, it doesn't break anything. It's not harmful, but it, it just feels out of place. And, and I, I feel like history has borne out that I'm probably right because, like, did any future Zelda games do anything like that? I don't think so. Not really, because yeah, it's because it's kind of weird. <laughs> um, I guess we've already been sort of doing this, but how well does audio serve gameplay? <laughs> I'm trying to see if there's anything in my notes that we didn't already kind of get well, th- to. There's one one um, specific thing uh, we have to mention, which is the owl, your your guide and protector. Um, Every time you scroll the screen of text, he goes hoot hoot, hoot hoot again. <laughs> so he hoot hoots when he's flying in. He hoot hoots every single time you scroll the screen of text, and then he hoot hoots on his way off the screen. Oh, he's he's speaking. Well, I guess when he's flying in, he's speaking too. <laughs> hey, Link. Yeah, it's it's it, it's it's not the best sound effect in the game, and it's not that it's like. It's not nails on a chalkboard bad, but it shouldn't be every single scroll of text, right? Because when you talk to Marin, it doesn't make a like 
lip flapping noise every every time you <laughs> scroll the text. So like I would accept hoot hoot when the owl comes onto the screen and then when he leaves the screen and that would be totally fine. But the fact that it's on and he talks a lot because he is the one yeah. telling you where to go and what to do. Like he has the most NPC dialogue of any character in the game. So scrolling through every single screen of text and getting a hoot hoot on every screen is just it, it's just bad sound design. It's just not a good use of that noise. He likes to wax poetic about the dreamer for <laughs> quite a bit, which it's fine. It's part of the part of the plot, but yeah, he's definitely got the gift of long windedness, which wouldn't bother me nearly as much without that noise. Like if we're going to talk about sound <laughs> impacting gameplay, that makes me want to scroll through the the text either way slower so that there's more time in between hoot hoots or way faster to just get him the hell out of there. And because he is giving you vital information you absolutely must have to beat the game i shouldn't be thinking about dragging it out and not paying attention or rushing through it and not paying attention you uh you ready to move on to controls and mechanics i sure am (laughs) so um before we talk about anything else i need to ask you this because you owned a game boy i didn't i played some game boy games but i don't have the memory for them that you surely do is squeeze the entire Game Boy to to get to the menu a normal input on other Game Boy games? You mean like the A, B, select, and start all at once? Yeah. Yes. Um, it was actually pretty common for Nintendo's <laughs> oh games. <laughs> which is a direct result of not giving you enough buttons, which is going to be a definite topic for this game um, <laughs> let's start off with the good stuff though <laughs> i don't think i'd have that long of a list um i'd say you know first off on the positive link is very responsive um you can still move diagonally which wasn't true in the first zelda game um or in you know f- for that matter the second <laughs> one uh <laughs> But uh, it was in Link to the Past, and they preserved that, and that's such a such a nice thing to have when you're trying to maneuver around enemies and uh, or you know fight the bosses. Um, you know, I can think of Final Fantasy Adventure, which takes a very Zelda-like design with the overhead view, uh, does not have diagonal, and that makes it so much more annoying to fight. <laughs> um, so that's nice. Um, I'm trying to see is there any other positive thing I'd say. I mean, you. Your your weapons using them feels responsive. You know, I'm pretty comfortable with what's going to happen when I let the slingshot out, or how fast these different items get released is pretty satisfying. Well, and there's again, I don't think there's a lot of variation. So, like when you use the sword, the sword behaves like the sword every time. When you use the boomerang, the boomerang behaves like the boomerang every time, right? And there's even little differences that might make you opt for one over the other so like you can throw the boomerang diagonal which is kind of cool um but the biggest difference between the boomerang and the hook shot isn't that the hook shot can go a little bit further because the boomerang can cover like three quarters of the screen the biggest difference is after you throw the boomerang you can keep moving once the hook shot leaves you are in place until it comes back to you so if you shoot it at an enemy that's like two squares in front of you and you miss and there's nothing on the other side, like you are now immobilized until the hookshot gets back, right? So there's 
some little differences even between similar tools that would make you consider using one over the other, right? Like the 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 bow yeah. and arrow, oddly, uh, the arrow does not travel all that fast, right? So you kind of have to aim it a little bit more thoughtfully than you would with the hook shot because if you miss with the hook shot, you just do it again, but like you run out of arrows, right? So the, the differences yeah. between the weapons feels consistent and understandable and actually makes you think about like, oh, do I want to be immobilized after I use this ranged attack or would I like to be able to keep moving? <laughs> well, in, in a notable difference from the uh, Super Nintendo Zelda, you don't see the bow. And there's no, like, in the Super Nintendo one, there's, like, your timing is a factor because there's a lag. Like, he pulls and draws the arrow and then releases it. And so you kind of got to, like, aim ahead of who you're... And the, the bow does... The arrows don't move that fast in the, the Super Nintendo one either. But uh, it's almost like it might as well be a spear he's throwing because yeah, it just kind of flies yeah, out of him. Yeah, they're friggin' javelins. <laughs> like, and so when I got to uh, the first dungeon that encourages you to have the bow, you don't need the bow to complete that dungeon. I think it's like the fifth one. Um, but there's the weird like winged items, you know, which is kind of an interesting thing. Um, but there's, so there's like the winged items and I saw the what I thought was the hook shot and I was just like, Oh, and I jumped up and got it. And I was like, nothing, nothing happened. Is it like, is this the <laughs> false hook shot? And it wasn't until after I got the bow that I was like, Oh, that's what arrows look like. The arrows are huge and yeah. you don't see the bow animation. So they, they just, these giant javelins just come flying out of your face. It's, it's yeah, it's not the best visual and it's very much a limitation of, the graphics, like if they made a thinner arrow, you just wouldn't be able to see what the hell was happening. Um. Yeah, especially because uh, the original Game Boy, the the screen ghosted like crazy, <laughs> like anything moving. Uh, I, I can see why Zelda is a good game for it because the background does not scroll mm. unless you're changing screens, mm-hmm. uh, which is a pain on the Mario games. If you play them on original hardware, it's just like a smeared mess. <laughs> Yeah, that's well, and I remember some of the, I think maybe one of the Wario games maybe did almost like Mega Man style screen scrolls so that they could limit the amount of time. So the screen wasn't just constantly moving like it is in most Mario games. And I never thought about it, but that is probably why they did that. (laughs) Oh, man. Any other positive things? I like that you can jump. Jumping's cool. It, it is cool. It, I don't want to spoil mechanics. <laughs> it, it controls very well, and it, it gives. Uh, it actually makes navigating a lot easier, uh, avoiding enemies because half the enemies I can just hop over them, and it's like whatever. I don't. I don't need to fight you. <laughs> you don't drop experience. <laughs> I don't care about this. <laughs> Pretty much. So yeah, the jumping feels great, and uh, you know it's a weird Mario mechanic we'll get to, but. Uh, <laughs> It, and they they gave you those floating items, and they gave you pits. You got to jump over, and you know I I like I, I don't know if you bumped into this, but you can technically jump over two squares if you time your jump really yeah, well. And uh, that's pretty nice to skip some things that they maybe didn't expect you to necessarily jump across yeah. right away. And I think uh, once you get the Pegasus boots, you can do over three. Right? Yeah, yeah. at least three because they force you yeah. to do it. But, but I I do. I do feel like the jumping in the overworld sections actually feels pretty good and controls pretty well. And the jumping in the platforming sections 
still controls okay, but it doesn't feel very good because the visuals are kind of askew and everything's sort of wonky. Yeah. But it's uh, I, I I felt like oh okay, this is an interesting way to add some interaction to the world. They don't allow you to jump up ledges, right? It's not like, oh, I fell down this ledge. I need to jump back up. Nope. That's not how jumping works. Like jumping (laughs) is a tool like any other tool to interact with certain parts of the map. Excuse me. And, and that's like the fact that they are consistent about that means you don't stand there and try to jump up a wall. You are never, ever going to be able to jump up because it never, ever happens. And in true Nintendo like quality, they, they it, jumping isn't just for pits. There's also a mini boss around the idea that you need to jump a uh, guy that pushes that big rolling spike mm-hmm. thing, and so they they immediately give you a reason to use it that it's like you really can't beat this guy unless you can jump. And so uh, you know throughout the game, and not to hop into mechanics do it, yet, do it. Controls um, and mechanics live together. They no, have no, no to. I got, I got. <laughs> Got I got one giant complaint that I feel like you're gonna have too, so I don't know if you want me to to break the seal on it. Oh or... no, I mean one of us has to, and you're already on your way, so go for it. Okay, the the biggest problem I have with the controls comes down to not having enough buttons on the game. Nowhere board. near enough, and so, <laughs> and this doesn't feel like a clever design choice to limit you it, it really comes down to this is all the buttons we have <laughs> and so you can equip two things at a time and while they do do lots of interesting things getting you to mix things like the the boots and the the feathers so that you can run and jump um especially the further you get into the game the more it feels like you have to pause and change items on every single screen sometimes and, like, more you're than just once like, oh. the puzzles get complicated <laughs> Yeah, and so you're like, I got to go from the town to, say, this dungeon over here, and it may only be five screens over. Well, that's anywhere from five to ten inventory hops. <laughs> and I just find that, like, irritating. And, like, by the end of the game, I was just exhausted with having to pause and switch. And even doing that, like, you know, part of my muscle memory wants B to be, like, cancel out. And so I would be trying to leave the inventory and I would put something else back into B. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, well, I would say uh, probably, like, one out of four times, right? Which is a <laughs> lot of wasted time. <laughs> yeah. So that that sense that you are pausing nonstop in this game is probably the single greatest thing I would hold against it is not aging well. It. It not only does it not age well, but I have a hard time believing people didn't notice this 20 years ago. Like, I can almost guarantee by the end of playing this the first time, you know, 10 or 12 year old Mike was just like, man, I sure did have to pause that a lot. <laughs> you know, as you stroked your beard and sipped your whiskey, you're like, man, it's just so many pauses. Like imagine you had to write a paper, but you only had ten key, ten letters you could use at a time when you're typing words, and you had to go into your bag and replace keys on your keyboard. Yeah. I, I will say, <laughs> in their defense-ish, um, they didn't try to do anything clever and say like, "Well, if you quickly triple tap A, it uses this item," and if you you know, if you long hold and then, you know, if you do Morse code and tap dancing, then you, we will make them behave as other buttons because it's an action game. And that kind of crap would be way more error prone and way less fun in basically yeah. every way. That being said, um, there are, I think a couple exceptions they could have made. 
Uh, one is once you have the power bracelet, the power bracelet should just be equipped. Why in God's name? (laughs) And I know they thought about making the collision between link and anything in the world really obvious in the game (laughs) engine, because every single time you touch anything that requires you to have the power bracelet equipped, it tells you that you don't have the power bracelet equipped. (laughs) So, so the fact that the game engine collision is that strict, means they could just say, hey, we know he has the sword equipped right now, but because he is leaning his face into a rock and pressing A, <laughs> just just pick up the rock. We They made yeah. the flippers a passive item. Why the hell couldn't they make this a <laughs> passive item? And then the I feel that kind of the same with the Pegasus boots. Like, if you have um, maybe, like, the shield equipped or something, and you, like, long press B... Or maybe the Pegasus boots would be an acceptable time. To, no, because you have to be able to jump and do Pegasus boots. Same. Okay, the power bracelet, though. I stand by the power bracelet. It should be a passive no, I've got one for the boots. I got one for the boots. It's the convention of double tap the arrow Ooh. of which direction. Like double tap in the same direction. You start dashing. There you go. Double tap and hold on the second yes. press. Yes. Double <laughs> click and drag. Yes. <laughs> yes. I think that would work. And so, yeah, there could have been some clever workarounds for a few of the items, but I think it would still end up being a switch fest. Well, <laughs> and the, the only reason, so there's a lot of puzzles and a lot of ways they, they gate your flow through the map with crap you can't pick up and crap you can't jump over, right? Like that's the core of how Zelda, like, fences you into certain parts of the map is you don't have the item to get from here to there. And yeah, if they had done just um, the power bracelet and the Pegasus boots with, uh, you know, like quick, quick actions basically, or, or ambient um, passive item equips, then that's just two less times you would ever have to do that. And in some of the later dungeons, the amount of times you need to switch back to the power bracelet is like every screen. Yeah, and like the very early part of the game, there's a rock blocking blocking almost everything. And so that would have even just that one becoming passive would have made it it would have gone a long way to not feeling like I was pausing every single screen. Yeah, yeah that that's and and I Again, I don't think any other Zelda game makes the power bracelet an item that you have to equip. It is a passive item. And again, I know that this game has a concept of passive items because you have the secret medicine, you have the flippers, you have keys. When you have a key and you touch a key door, it just works. Yeah. If you don't have a key, it doesn't. So the game already has this entire concept in place. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, th- yep. this feels like a... I don't want to say a sloppy mistake. This almost feels like an intentional experiment. Like what if the power bracelet was an item you use to interact with the world, just like the sword or the bombs Yeah, and they tried it and turns out it sucks. But, but I don't <laughs> think they didn't understand what passive equips were. The power bracelet had already been a passive equip in two games, right? Yeah. So like they already had this mechanic in place. I, I think this was an intentional experimentation. I want to support that viewpoint of yours. The shield in this game is the first and maybe only time the shield is a button you press in a Zelda game. Um, I mean, uh, other than the 3D ones, eventually yeah, in you the, like... in the 2D ones, it's the first time that you have to shield... 
which they teach you very immediately in the game because you can't get through the the puffball, whatever, the urchins uh, uh, to get your sword without pushing them with the shield. Yeah, you have to like hold the shield up and then shove them. Yeah. And so that was, you know, right away in the game, it's this thing that used to be passive is now a choice. You have to equip it and press <laughs> it to use it. And so, you know, there's a there's a purity in that they do that with every item other, you know, other than... Uh, no, I just lost my other than the yeah, flippers, other than keys, yeah. secret medicine. Um, I'm going to say that might be it. So, I mean, one of the things that comes to mind is uh, I get why they didn't do this because of the physical button itself. But do you feel like the map had to have its own button that only does the map for the entire game? Um, I feel like the map could have been something you highlight in the menu when you want to see it, and that would have freed up an entire other button, admittedly a very inconvenient <laughs> button that, that tempts you to take your hand off the plus pad, if not. I'm, I'm more annoyed that when you're in the dungeon, the dungeon map is in the equipment item, but if you hit select <laughs> yeah. because your brain thinks map, it goes to the totally pointless overworld map. <laughs> yeah. So... Yeah, I wish when you were in a dungeon, the map brought up the map dungeon. And when you were on the overworld, <laughs> it brought up the overworld map because zero times on this playthrough was I like, where am I in the overworld while I was in a dungeon? <laughs> that information yeah. never mattered to me. <laughs> That's true. And I mean, I'd have to say in this was an era where Nintendo was figuring out that maps were awesome to include in their <laughs> adventure games, but this has to be maybe the worst one they ever shipped. And it's not useless, but it's I, I don't like it. Well, and, and I'll tell you this. There were very few times in this game, and uh, I, di I didn't think to mention this during visuals, but there were very few times in this game where I looked at the visuals and I was like, oh, man, because, you know, they're blown up on TV. I was playing on Super Game Boy, so it's like they're huge. But there were still very few times that I was like, wow, these did not scale well. This looks terrible. But the map, the overworld map, when you bring up the overworld map on like a large television, you're just like, what <laughs> is this? Like it gives you just the most basic information like, oh, the town is roughly over there. And the this the yeah. mountain is roughly over there. and The ocean is roughly over there, which is, I mean, it's better than nothing. Like I'm glad that I had a map, but... <laughs> Those there's so much information they're trying to communicate on what was the Game Boy screen like three inches, <laughs> a little tiny yeah. square, like 150 pixels by whatever. Yeah. So I mean, there's just so much information they were trying to convey on there, and I mean, God bless them for squeezing so much in. But when you see that blown up, you're just like, well, and like it's we're in mechanics now. I'm just saying, but uh. <laughs> uh if you're using the map to try to figure out, oh, I'm here and I want to get over here, the way the game is actually built, that's not very useful. No, it's not useful for that the, at all. The game is the the actual traversal of this game is less like an open world and more like a series of linear loops uh, that occasionally branch into each other. And so it's like, oh, I'm here and three squares over is that dungeon. 
but actually you got to go way up here and hop down this and go around this and go through this cave and that's how you get yes, to it. Which the, which the so, map does not communicate in the slightest or even attempt to. It's not like it communicates no. it poorly. It does not communicate that information to you at all. <laughs> and the most it can do is like, oh, you you once talked to an owl here, so you want to read that again? Here's what he said. <laughs> so yeah, the map is kind of a, a letdown. Let's just say Well, especially that. after the Link to the Past map, which is pretty friggin' useful, right? Like you always have a pretty good idea of where you are, where you need to go, and if there is a more or less straight path between those two things. Like, oh, do I need to cross water? Do I need to cross mountains? Do I need to go underground? Like the Link to the Past map g- gave you a lot of that information or at least enough detail to remind you when you looked at the map the second time, like, oh, right, it looks like I could go over there, but actually I would have to jump over the water and I don't have the flippers, right? But but yeah. this map does not convey any of that information, which leads you as the player to have to just memorize where a lot of crap is. Yeah, and very related to that, the warping in this game is a, another downgrade from Link to the Past. It's a huge downgrade. Small, smaller map, but nowhere near as good. In Link to the Past, once you have the, the bird and the ocarina song that lets you warp, you get a very granular, I think it's eight or nine spots on the map you can drop off at, uh, if not more. I can't remember the exact number. But in this game, there's only four, and there's not an interface for choosing exactly where you want to drop. You just have to go hop on the warp cycle, and just get off the ride once you're where you want to be. And uh, I just, it's just more irritating. It's just not as good. Yeah. And it, it feels like they, because there's only four, because the world is so much smaller, because the game overall is a smaller game, um, they just kind of decided, like, yeah, we don't need to create a whole UI for four things. The game, it loads nearly instantly. So we're just going to make you scroll through all of them. But it does feel weird to get on the the subway get off look at the map and then get back on the subway and it's like can i just look at the map then get on the subway and stay on until my exit nope no you cannot and and because of the aforementioned like pathfinding is so not related to viewing the map that (laughs) you may drop off somewhere and still realize actually to get there this this isn't the best place to drop off yeah it's navigating the world does feel the overworld feels more like the dungeons than I think they ever have before where screen to screen may there may only be literally one square that connects two screens and it's blocked by a rock right so it feels it feels (laughs) like a puzzle that you would encounter in a dungeon except it's everywhere everywhere you go yeah it's claustrophobic and it's exhausting. Yeah, it, exhausting. I think is a good term for it because every time you you know you walk one screen left and then you realize oh I actually need to go back and then go up and then go one screen left even though I'll still be on the same two screens I just need to be like up one more square because of how tight the bottleneck is. <laughs> exhausting is the right way to describe that because every time that happens you go. <sighs> <laughs> Because it, it doesn't feel like, oh, I'll eventually remember this. It's just like, God damn it. <laughs> yeah. So I want to, uh, if we can, um, I want to and at least the semi-positive note on the, the control part is uh, to, to connect this more officially to mechanics is 
this game does what every Zelda game does, but it still does it really, really well. And I really appreciate it. And they deserve a high five for it. Um, when you get a new toy, you are immediately forced to learn how to use that toy. You cannot go from yeah. point A to point B in the game after acquiring a new item and not understand exactly how it works because you're going to need that tool to solve puzzles. So they don't want anyone to ever say like, oh, I didn't know that that's what it did. They're like, that's not fair. And it's like, nope, you literally <laughs> cannot get past sometimes the next screen without knowing exactly how the hookshot works or the magic rod works or the whatever works like they the shield right in the beginning of the game the sword right right after you get sword they're like you should probably stab that thing to death right and (laughs) so like they they make you learn how everything works which means even though the controls are very clunky and i do disagree with some of their design choices you can never say i didn't know how the controls worked i don't know how to use this item because you cannot get from here to there without crossing that bridge Sometimes literally yeah. a bridge. And, and sprinkling on like the bonus on top is they also do the Zelda and Metroid thing of dangling pieces of heart and other items or treasure chests uh, out of reach requiring those items. So it's not just, oh, to beat this dungeon you need this, but also remember that thing you couldn't get to before? Now you want to go get it. And so that's it's something every Zelda game, every modern Zelda game does, but they, they also did it here. And so, yeah, high five. Yeah. Um, I, I think we also, uh, need to talk about what I, uh, just consider trying everything they could think of, um, in terms of mechanics in the game, uh, they, they sat down and just listed all of the things they could think of. And then whoever (laughs) the director was for the game said, yeah. And everybody in the room was like, no, we asked you which mechanics to pick. And he realized he hadn't been paying attention. And he was just like, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, these, um, I mean, these all sound good. Like, I, I, I can't pick a favorite child. I, I think, you know what, I think we should just do, do them all. And he didn't realize the list had like 100 things on it. And so that is what they did. They, they took all of the things you can think about from like Link to the Past and, and added uh, platforming. Some of the, two of the bosses, I think you fight in a side scrolling platforming layout. Uh, there's key blocks. So there's an additional thing that you have to use keys on besides just doors. Uh, there's the green fist crystals that you can only go through if you're using the Pegasus boots. Uh, they added the concept of mini bosses, some of which come back if you go back to that room. So like you have to try not to get yeah. lost when you're in the dungeon. Otherwise you'll have to fight the boss again, which adds an additional challenge. The bomb walls that I mentioned, you have to poke, um, some of the bosses have weird weaknesses to like other side items. Um, there's a little bit of swimming. Like there's just there's yeah. <laughs> some of the, in the, I think the very last dungeon or the second to last dungeon, there's a platform, like a platforming section with a puzzle in it where you have to use the magic rod to melt the ice blocks. And if you melt the wrong ones, you can't platform off of them. Like yeah. so many mechanics, so much stuff that is not considered like, standard zelda and they just tried it all (laughs) yeah those ice blocks you know wonderfully every time you bump Uh. them yep text text (laughs) just gonna remind you again um even if you have the fire rod equipped that's the most (laughs) egregious one because even if you have the fire rod equipped and the same thing with the green crystals with the pegasus boots like I have the right item on. Leave me alone. Like, <laughs> oh, and because of the nature of the side-scrolling sections, you are jumping into those, so you're even more likely to trigger the text. <laughs> so worst, worst but, design decision <laughs> in the entire game. Worse than the controls. 
Yeah. Um, so I don't know if these were part of what you were thinking of, saying that every single game mechanic ever <laughs> was tried in this, but there's weird games of chance mixed in, like rolling the little horse dice or hitting the card suit guys to make them match. Yeah. Or there's even a few old-fashioned classic 8-bit style uh you have to kill these enemies in the right order type thing. Ooh, the first time I encountered that, I was pissed because they do nothing to communicate that to you. Like, Yeah, I think you'd have to find the special beak to, to get a message about it, and that's about it. Maybe I don't... Maybe I was like, ah, beak, whatever. But I don't remember having that information given to me in the game. So I'll, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt and say it was there and I just missed it. But I definitely got stuck in this one dungeon. And I was like, okay, I guess I'm going to open game facts. And it was like, oh, kill these three <laughs> enemies in this order. And I was like, how would I have known that? Like, yeah. because the, the three, um, the, like suits, they have like, the you know, like playing card suits and you, you have yeah. to, to kill them when you hit them, they freeze on one suit. And to kill them, you have to get all three of them to freeze on the same suit. And when you don't do that, it goes. Burr, burr. And when you throw the, the the knights, the chess pieces, which why? What? But <laughs> but we, when you throw those and they don't both land upright, you get that. Burr, burr. Like when you are in a room <laughs> with enemies, you need to kill in a certain order and you don't kill them in that order. Hey, Reuse that sound effect you had for communicating to yeah. the player that they failed at a puzzle. Like you've already thought about this problem. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I just have to say, as far as a gameplay challenge in a Zelda game, the, the card suit enemies and the, the horse, the knight dice throw are not long term satisfying challenges. They're just games of chance that are just they're just, well, guess I gotta sit here rolling these till I can get through. Y- yeah, it's the the knight pieces you don't fight like they're just objects you pick up and throw. So at least you can fairly quickly blaze through that. But the, the trying to get the three suits to stop on the same suit at the same time, that is just boring. Uh, yeah. Boring. Uh, what do you call it? Like a sl- boring slot machine, right? Like, like I didn't win. I didn't win. I didn't win. When there's that, <laughs> is it the Eagle, the, there's the dungeon where you have to knock down all the pillars with the little ball mm. that you carry around mm-hmm. with you. And there's maybe there's a way to get around this, but I didn't find it. I found myself having to swing a, through some like boulders in my way or throw things like bombs at them. Uh, there was a there was one of those card suit puzzles where I couldn't just go straight over to them. And so it kind of felt like I was waiting for them, their random oh. pathfinding to wander towards yeah. me. Yeah. Do you have a ranged weapon by that point? Yeah, but there's like the the square blocks in the way in between me and them. And like you 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 solve their puzzle to make a treasure chest appear which you can hook shot to to get across. Oh. And maybe there's like I felt like the maybe there was a way around the dungeon where I didn't have to leave the floor which resets their puzzle. Mm. Um but I didn't find it so I had to like try to solve them through a wall, yeah. which was not So now now you're playing great. a slot machine that you don't want to be playing in a really uncomfortable chair. And it's like, why <laughs> yeah. am I doing this? Yeah, you're right. It Not satisfying is a good way to describe a couple of these mechanics where you're just like, well, I did it, I guess. But you don't, you don't really feel that good about it. Even like the, the throwing the knights isn't hard, but it just it's just like a, it's a stupid open sesame trick. You're just like, okay, I did it. Yeah. 
So we kind of talked about this earlier, but I want to know, like, do you honestly feel like the game is babying you or are they leaving you to your own devices? And, And I think this is a good time for me to ask you this question explicitly because there's all of the Zelda mechanics you know and love, and then there's like 80,000 more Zelda mechanics, and most of them are conveyed entirely through gameplay, right? The stupid owl doesn't come down and hoot hoot and tell you how the suit enemies work or how the night pieces work or how like basically anything in the dungeon works, right? Like all those puzzles, yeah. the the like interacting with things isn't really spelled out for you even when they keep shoving text down your throat. So like... The green crystals, it was not clear to me that the Pegasus boots was how you defeated those because it literally says something like, there must be some way to get past this. And it's like, this is weird. Yeah. So, so like part of me felt like, oh, they're really trying to hold my hand by like reminding me like, oh, you need to use this item. But then they just, it, it's like a, like a bad teacher just keeps saying like, like, no, no. No. Yeah, and it's like, yes, no I get it. I'm doing it wrong. Can you help me do it right? Yeah. I mean, aside from the beak wall structure things, which was a weird adaptation of just the, you know, the empty like stone tablet right. thing from the Super Nintendo one, um, those occasionally give you info on like a key core mechanic of that dungeon of like, oh, you need to do this or this enemy you need to actually bump the turtles with your shield and then you can finally hurt them. Um, but aside from that, there are like, there are these mechanics where it's like, you're so handholding about these other things and you got nothing to say about this when I actually might like some help. Yeah. It's, it's, this is what makes me question. Like, are they being, are they being super handholdy or is it that they, they didn't realize this information being given to you again just becomes an annoyance. And because this was actually the last Zelda game they made before Ocarina of Time, I know one of my favorite Ocarina of Time complaints that existed in basically every Zelda game thereafter is when you... uh, So we didn't mention explicitly... um, you pick up items like that are floating in the sky and they have like little angel wings. And, <laughs> yeah. and I actually kind of like that because uh, a lot of the puzzles require certain items or certain items make the puzzle like way easier and, or certain enemies like that you have to be to get the door to open or whatever. And I sort of like that there's these like magic flying items because every time I saw a magic flying item, I was like, aha bombs. I need to be thinking, what can I do with bombs? Right. And and it just yeah. put me in the right mindset. And something about getting bombs out of a treasure chest has just never it's never it's never done that same <laughs> trigger to me. Like and I'm not blaming the game. Like I know this is my game's literacy, but opening a chest and getting bombs never made me say, like, ah, I need to be thinking about using bombs to solve like the next room or the next fight that I do or whatever. But the, yeah. the wings totally did. And it's an infinite supply. So if you run out of bombs and you screw up the puzzle, you can go back and the the floaty angel bombs are there again. Right. So it's like it's their way of just being like, yeah, okay, you need bombs to solve this puzzle. Here's bombs. Here's all the bombs you need. Right. Here's all yeah. the arrows you need or whatever. And where I found that to be, uh, super hilarious thinking about later Zelda games is every time you pick up bombs starting from Ocarina of Time onward, it's like, you got bombs. Here's some things you can do with bombs. And it's like, I know. And then in like the later games, they even are like, 
they tell you how you should feel about the rupees you just got. So yeah. like a small amount of rupees Joy. is like, yay. And then like a lot of rupees is like, this is the best. And then like, uh, God, was it Skyward Sword that had the negative rupees? And it, it literally says like, and that's a little sad. It's like, ah, <laughs> why are you doing this to me? Could you imagine in Link to the Past if every time the thief hit you and you dropped a bunch of your items, all of the animation stopped and some text popped up and was like, that's a little sad. Like you would never play that game. It would be horrible. Yeah. Yeah. Nintendo's rapidly diminishing trust in the player and I yeah, it wasn't a coherent lack of trust in this game because they obviously did trust you in some places, but it was it was a huge swing in that direction, and it remains the, you know part of the biggest paper cut of playing this game. And I wonder how much of that they'll keep in the remake, and also if the button nonsense will be over because those be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. If they don't bother to modernize the buttons on a controller that has three times as many buttons. <laughs> and if they don't no four times four times as many buttons so if they don't bother to modernize the buttons and if they don't bother to remove the you touched a pot you don't have the thing to pick up the pot so we're going to remind you again that you can't pick up a pot because link to the past already solved this problem when you try to pick up something that's too heavy you can't pick it up and you see him yeah. trying but he can't right so like there's all of the information you need I'm trying, but I can't. Like I really, I don't <laughs> yeah. need the text box every time. And if they successfully remake this game, but unsuccessfully fix those specific two blemishes, I will honestly consider the remake a failure because no amount of auditory yeah. and graphical improvements could possibly make up for those two things. At this era in 1993. Okay, I don't like it, but I get it. But in 2019, no, unacceptable. Unacceptable. <laughs> yeah. We know better. <laughs> and and you don't have the excuse of the hardware like not being capable yeah. or no, whatever. There, there are no none of the limitations you could even generously extend to them as being the excuses for why they made those design choices like oh well, it's a really small screen and you wouldn't be able to tell that link is trying to pick up the thing but he can't because it's not like on the super nintendo where you could see him sweating so yeah okay fine maybe that was a reason but on the switch they're they're just not gonna be able to say any of that it's not that they don't have enough buttons it's not that they can't visually convey the information it's not that you can't even just expect the player to have the game's literacy to see what's happening and draw a conclusion right so yeah i i'm gonna wait Till like after the first reviews come out and if they say like, Oh, the text is still there. It's like, Nope. Sorry, Nintendo. You could have had my money, but now screw you. <laughs> yeah. I guess to have a little positivity because <laughs> <laughs> I actually do like this game a lot in spite of all totally. this. Um, I'd say the, in general, the dungeons are very enjoyable. The boss fights are wonderfully enjoyable and they um, they do rip a lot of bosses from the super nintendo link to the past and it still plays well but you know you kind of want to be like all right you know you didn't think of a new thing we're fighting the little worm thing yeah. again but they did come up with some new ones the genie is an interesting boss fight who uh you know directly relates to the pots you've been picking up the entire dungeon and then he's a giant pot and you break him out of his pot and then you you know, dodge fireballs and hit them. But, um, you know, 
the you know the eagle boss is kind of like Mega Man X Storm Eagle, and then he tries to blow you He's off. Totally the, like Mega Man X Storm Eagle. I knew something about that felt familiar, <laughs> but I did not connect those two things. So thank you for that. Yes, and so I overall though they're nice caps to mostly satisfying dungeons, and despite some of the weirder mechanics, the dungeons are all you know different and interesting in their own way. Um, you know, secret walls and, um, you know, one of the dungeons you literally, I don't think any prior Zelda game had done this unless, does Link of the Past have any mechanic where you literally destroy the foundations and collapse one of the dungeons no. down? Does Turtle Rock do mm-hmm. that? No? I mean, you um, go into a couple of the dungeons through like a pretty spectacular animation, but none of them, none of them have a a mechanic where you appear to be altering the layout of the physical building to progress through it. So that that was that was yeah. pretty unique as far as I can think. Yeah, and I mean not to crap on it, but like it really kind of just gets you through the last door in the dungeon. Yeah. It, um, it, but it, it is kind of the room. <laughs> But it is a core, like the core puzzle that's throughout the dungeon which makes use of very interesting uh you know, you're taking this ball around which in general Game Boy games, I think, were very light on memory, and so like you, having to remember where you left that, and like they probably had to jump through some hoops to be like, all right, in this dungeon, we need some extra magic <laughs> to make this work. Um, and so, you know, I, I don't know that I like any of these dungeons more than the Super Nintendo games dungeons, or that they are necessarily more creative, but they are still good, and they're you know, and that's probably just a a mark that you want to give this game for being that good on a Game Boy. Yeah, and and I I hesitate to say, wow, this is really good for a Game Boy game, right? Because <laughs> in terms of the visuals, I would say these are really good visuals for the Game Boy. This is really good, mostly audio for the Game Boy, right? Um, <laughs> But in terms of mechanics, like very, you know, the variation in mechanics and the uh, level design and the lessons that they learned from Link to the Past and they tried to not just copy paste it, but also say like, oh, can we do more things? Can we do new things from a design perspective, right? Because it's, it's very different to say, oh, how can we push this hardware to its limits? When you're designing a puzzle game, you don't necessarily need all that much in terms of processing power you just need to be clever in your level design so that you can make the player think and have an interesting and challenging experience and they absolutely do that like you could and we are probably about to see them take this game and (laughs) graphically improve it but not really change the puzzles, not really change the way you move through the dungeons. I really hope they change the way you move through the world. But, but the, <laughs> the complexity of the, the dungeon puzzles is as good as the Super Nintendo counterpart. I wouldn't say I necessarily enjoy them more or less, but in terms of like creativity and design and interesting things, yeah, they're, I would say they're every bit as good as the Super Nintendo ones, which is part of why this game is good because they didn't try to do things (laughs) that would be impossible on the game boy. Like you can only solve this puzzle. If you notice this minor visual distinction, right? Like that wouldn't be any fun. So they said like, Oh, we have to have crazy layouts and you're going to have to backtrack and you're going to have to remember where you left things. And like, that's, that's good. Like it works really well in this context. So that kind of leads us to, does it hold up? Um, so for me as a a first time player, uh, I, 
did not require any nostalgia goggles to enjoy this. Uh, by which I mean, I didn't have to say like, well, for a Game Boy game from 1993. Um, that being yeah. said, thinking about it in the context of they're going to remake this or they're remaking this right now. Um, if I'm, I'm deadly serious. If they did not fix the buttons, which they have no excuse for, and, and if they <laughs> left in the helping, not helping text every time you touch an item that you don't yet have the tool to interact with, I, I will consider that a catastrophic failure. Like I can forgive yeah. that at this time in history because even with all of the games literacy I have acquired in the intervening you know, several decades, I still get why they would have chosen to do that at this time in history. And I can play the game and learn to not get near a pot, right? So like <laughs> I actually learned to move through the universe in a slightly different way because I didn't want to keep seeing those little pop-up screens. And so that made it, that made me able to say, I'm not playing this with nostalgia goggles because I still hate this mechanic, but I found a way to deal with it that makes the game still fun. Or not mechanic, this design choice. But I found a way to deal with it where I'm still having fun playing the game. I'm still enjoying the the puzzles. I'm still enjoying the story such as it is. Um, like, it's, it's still good. Uh, so, you know, no nostalgia goggles required for me for the uh, the DX... I don't know why they did that for Game Boy games at this time, but for the, yeah, I know, but for the the color, you know, pseudo remake of the original. Um, but I'm I'm still withholding judgment for the the remake because it to me it is not a slam dunk to remake this game. There are things they need to fix in the remake. Yeah, and I have to say, just from the little trailer they released, it looks like they're doing basically tile for tile the same screens. <laughs> so I'm a little worried, but to be like. Navigation may still be kind of annoying, but if they fix the buttons and they fix the text prompts everywhere, then that could go a long way. Um, I'm with you. This is still a very good game, even without nostalgia goggles. But I, if someone were wanting to try a Zelda game, it wouldn't be the first one I'd say play. I'd say play Link to the Past or uh, you know maybe the most recent uh, Breath of the Wild. Um, and then if you discover, I like Zelda games, then I'd be like, this one is worth, if you know you like Zelda games, it's definitely worth playing. The curtain falls, the music plays, the credits roll, then it all fades black and you're left by yourself the fanfare is gone there's no player two there by your side to share victories won but as you slowly progress down the hall to your bed a few great events leak back into your head from the time that you spent Traversing the land Battling evil Fighting the darkness Just sword in hand Your memories creeping With the edge of a smile You realize again What you lost for a while You're gonna think back much less On how you saved the day Play what we play. Africa 